In the Now, Episode 8. Today, we talk about startup companies with one of Steel Now's original founders, Bradley Pride. Stay tuned. This show is brought to you by Steel Now. Steel Now takes the pain out of buying metal, whether you've been buying for 20 years or you are new to metal purchasing. It's a difficult process no matter what your expertise, and Steel Now works with our network of over 60 suppliers to get you a fair price and a lead time that fits your project. So visit SteelNow.com today. to a new episode of In the Now. I am your host, Tony, joined always by my co-host, Jonathan. Today, we have a special guest, Bradley Pride, co-founder of 1-3 Biotech, serial entrepreneur, and just a handsome guy. And we're happy to have him. So welcome, Brad. Thanks, Tony. I love the introduction, especially yes, the yes. handsome part. You are yeah. very handsome. So today, we're going to do a little something different. We're going to talk mainly about startups. Brad is super expert at startups. This is what the guy does. He was actually part of the original startup of Steel Now before it became what it is today. Um, so he's an interesting guy. He's got lots to talk about. So we'll get right into it. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's do it. So Brad, do you want to start by just giving a little introduction of yourself and your history and tell tell the audience about who Brad Pride is? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually got my start originally thinking I wanted to be in finance. So I went out to London. I was working for a really big fund. I had about a trillion in under management. So now the reason I was in London in particular is because my uncle was uh, chairman of a company and he was getting advice through an M&A advisory for buying a lot of companies. Uh, he gave my first internship, loved the experience, moved into finance. And around 2013, when I moved into trading, uh, he passed away from cancer. So that event really made me realize I want to do a lot more uh, meaningful and purpose-driven work in my life. So originally that put me into pure tech and entrepreneurship. Um, he was very much an entrepreneurial guy who really built his way up. So I, I moved into tech. I, I worked at a platform business, became the CEO of it. So long story short, we got this bankrupt company up into a really good performing package that we're able to sell off to the biggest competitor that point. And then after that, came back to uh, New York City. And then I was functioning as a consultant at Applico, where we we're building out you know, tech subdivisions, ultimately. It was a great experience. That's how I met you guys. And um, but through that, I'd also been networking in New York City because I knew that I was looking for my next business to start and wanted to find something that I was truly passionate about. And the only thing I'd been doing in my free time, besides you know drinking with friends, uh, was uh, running marathons, Tough Mudders, et cetera, for uh, cancer research. So outside of that, I knew that was my passion. Um, now, when I had found my co-founders and we started talking about the ability for AI to help predict whether or not a drug is going to be efficacious against a patient. It was really interesting to me. I was a complete novice. I went around, got industry expertise, but also saw the traction that you know one three bio was gaining at that point in time. So I started to work with them. Uh, I saw some case studies, case studies where uh, a, a drug that was going to be shelved because it just wasn't seeing any efficacy in specific cancer. Uh, one through biotech was able to predict that this drug would work against a very specific patient type by predicting how it would affect biology little the convoluted, but it's methylated glioblastoma patients based on the target that the drug was hitting. Um, and these patients, 2,000 people die a year from this, were able to find this, and they raised the money based off our hypothesis and our prediction to do a second phase two trial, which was successful. Uh, people came to the trial who only had a month to live uh, 
a week to live. And uh, after taking Onc201, um, they uh, were stable and still are stable. And this was about two years ago. It was just amazing to see the results wow. of the prediction and AI wow. used in that way that's actually um, scientists don't use this language, but I will because I'm not one, uh, saving people's lives. Uh, and that's really the kind of case studies that we're starting to develop. Now, more and more uh, partnerships we've signed have enabled us to do more of these predictions, some which are also looking very promising. And we'll be able to release uh, those as and when you know, confidentiality agreements. That's incredibly impressive. Thank it's you. amazing. Using the AI to like find medicine that can help someone in the health department. That's amazing. So from your experience, like then you come into metal and you're like, how can we, how can we really change the game? Right? Like I still think a lot of people are trying to figure it out. What did you see kind of coming into this industry being so traditional and then seeing kind of where we've gone today and what we're still doing, I guess. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question, right? So I think that where there's, traditional industries or what you know, I've started kind of calling is laggard industries uh, and there's different industries that are laggards for different reasons. I think there's just immense opportunity, which is great, but then there's going to be a, a lot of resistance too. So in, um, you know, the steel industry, it, it was a laggard industry. You know, people were, you know, taking orders by phone and writing down on, you know, pen and paper and kind of just shopping it around. Uh, so just really being able to intake the the amount of data points that they can handle or head for that specific order while taking a large volume of orders. And I think that that there's machines that do that now, right? Like you don't need to go shopping around be based off of relationships. You can get an idea and like price metal accurately and well. And I think that what you come across is in, in both industry I and mean now and, 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 and still now was um, people who were just resistant to it slightly, right, at first. Uh, I think the good thing about Texas was that everyone was so friendly. So it made it like a little bit easier to, if you sit down and have a conversation with people, they're willing and they they talk to you. And I think that helped us gain traction there. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think that um, you have to, it's not a standard transaction, right? When you're introducing technology and startup to a new industry, it's you have to be somewhat of an educational partner before you're a transactional partner with them. Uh, and that's the same way in what I'm doing now. And I think you know, there are very set processes for you know companies like Google, where it's a complete new area for them to implement technology, but they're so they open technology with open arms and then they have a whole evaluation process. Whereas you moving into an industry that doesn't have that really have to divine that process and help and understand how to convince people that this tech, this new startup, this new idea is useful. You don't just filter into their funnel. Yep. So there's more of an educational campaign along with a marketing campaign, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's discussed that before too. Yeah. I entirely agree there. It does make it different. We use machine learning and AI technology for our search on steelnow.com and for our supplier prediction. So whether which supplier we might get it from now. We no longer use it on price because we found there weren't enough data points to get an accurate price. And I can't really go into details on how you get price anymore because it's really cool. And I just can't, can't yeah. share that. Secret. However, um, baby. it is my baby now. Some of the cool things that Steel Now does as far as describing it would simply just be, we are the intersection of customers and suppliers. That's mm-hmm. that's it. That's how I would explain it. Because solid. You know, we are the intersection between those two trying to make it to where mm-hmm. everybody benefits from, right? Yeah. 
because it's like from the high level, you explain what we're doing. And then if you have people's attention, they want to know more, you can explain the problem and then how the technology solves that problem to help facilitate that transaction, which is, and I, I understood that right away. I mean, obviously I have the background, but I think most people would understand that explanation. Yeah. Getting into the details of, you know, how we do it. I think that's very boring. It's really yeah, cool like, to people like me, but I think most people would find that very boring. But realistically, we're just trying to connect the people together that aren't getting connected by themselves, right? We're connecting people together that wouldn't know how to find each other. That's that's what we're doing. We're finding you a friend. We're Tinder for metal more than Amazon for metal. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Obviously, Steel Now was like your favorite startup ever. We're not even going to question that. There's no question. There's no, there's no point even framing that as a question. That's a statement. The yeah. most fun. Yeah. Fun. yeah. <laughs> um, what did you see about Steel Now that you thought was that kind of lured you towards wanting to do to start it as a startup in the metal industry? Like almost like what was ripe about it that you were like, oh, man, we got to get on this one. This one looks like a great opportunity for someone that's never done it. Yeah, it was just like one of those feelings, right, where you're looking at, and I think most startups should have this. It's just like, it's so obvious that this should be done. And there's such a clear pathway at that point in time. I'm sure the, the market's changing different types of competitors. There's no real competition, right? Because people aren't doing it. And it's just that kind of overwhelming feeling that if we don't do it, someone else will, and they'll be the ones that benefit. And we've already laid out the kind of groundwork for this. Um, and then as you kind of got into operational nature, we're just seeing great customer success stories, right? Like people are extremely happy about the efficiency, continuing to hear about the customer journey, if it being better. And then when we started to, you know, work with suppliers and people getting really excited about the idea, that meant a lot. And then seeing what we could do with the tech, it just seems like such an easy thing that should definitely be there, right? It just wasn't. And obviously it's not extremely easy that a lot of work goes into doing that really efficiently. But it just seemed like something everybody wanted. Um, there's a clear benefit to creating a company in that space. And, um, you yeah, know, like I mentioned, it doesn't hurt that Texans were very friendly too. So it was like great to go out and meet different people and then experience the metals industry. And uh, yeah, I just love the cowboy vibes from different people that we met with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's basically what I do now. I've kind of taken over that whole area of steel now and i will say like suppliers are very interested i mean i've never had anybody yet tell me no you can't come over um i've had lunch with them i mean they're all pretty open-minded too which is awesome so it helps us with our with our goals and what we're trying to bring into the industry yeah that's amazing yeah everybody's willing to have the conversation just because they, they everybody knows that they want it right i feel like the greatest question i get is what is steel now and it just the excitement just starts gushing out because i'm i just know i'm going to be able to explain to them what we do and what we are because nobody yeah. knows right and that's the excitement of it when you're a startup is you kind of make headway so people can understand what you are um if they knew what we were then i mean it's probably been done before one thing I noticed I wanted to ask you about is like working in a startup. This is my first time being in one. I think, Tony, have you been in one before? Yeah, my whole career has been startup. So, okay. This is my first one. I've always worked in a corporate company. I've always been in the, the typical structure. But one thing that I noticed when I came in and it kind of like hit me in the face a little bit was, do you agree that in startups, I mean, you have your position that you're good at or that you're meant to be on the team? But that by no means means that you are only going to do that because I yeah. feel like in a startup and especially in our early days, it was like, hey, Jonathan, you don't really do this, but I kind of need you to do this. And Tony's like, I don't do that either, but I can help you do this. And even now I'm like, 
yeah, I don't really do that, but sure, I'll do it. Like everybody's just trying to figure out how to help each other because we have no, I mean, we, we just have to, right. We only have so many people on the team. Yeah, no, no, hundred percent. So it literally went through this. I think it was last week where I was like in my head, Oh, this is what stars are about. Cause I've been building up a team, you know, to help me with all the work and really thinking, trying to be like the next big thing. Um, but what I noticed was um, we're getting more partners in and then we're doing our own internal development. So uh, my co-founder, who's a chief data scientist who works on the algorithms, works on building out more data into the system. Um, then I have a co-founder who's, you know, focusing right now on our fundraise and helping with that too. And I, I'm focusing primarily on bringing partners in, thinking about how we communicate our, which is, you know, difficult to MDs and doctors who have been spending their whole life. And it takes a lot to building out a whole marketing pipeline, going out, meeting people, going to conferences. And we just got to the point where we're getting new opportunities. And um, that's giving a lot more work for uh, Corey, the chief data science team. So we had to hire in some, you know, like entry level engineers. And I was thinking, well, that's not going to help me with my like core, like what I'm focused on, right? Because you get kind of tunnel vision on your goals. Um, but Corey's building out the systems. Uh, Neil has to fundraise. Um, and then only one person was really actively recruited before. So I'm like, okay, cool. So now I'm going to be the recruiter uh, mm-hmm. as well as doing all the BD as well as, you know, operational stuff as well. So um, you need to be willing to wear many, many hats to get. Exactly. Uh, you can't just, no, that's not my job. Everything could be your job. If you could do it, it's totally your job. I, totally yeah. Is. Yeah. Fine. Totally. Fu- I think that's fun though. Right. That's what yeah. makes it fun. So kind of wanted to pick your brain as far as startups in general, what makes a startup person different than a non-startup person? What makes the culture different? What makes everything different? And I think a lot of people can hear just in your voice, the biggest one is probably excitement around what you're doing. The passion. That's something I've noticed is people get super into what they're doing in startups versus non-startups. So do you have an answer for that? Yeah, I do. And I'm going to, because obviously I'm a startup person, right? So I I, I want to answer this without sounding like an egomaniac or uh, without kind of discrediting a certain personality types. Because I've met people who are CEOs of startups and doing really well, just totally different from me. So I try to think about, you know, what are key common characteristics? So I think, uh, yeah, you're right. Like passion is like, you truly believe that the industry need this and you will come up against tons of people saying that this isn't the way to do it. And it hasn't been done this way. And you'll get a lot of resistance. So I think resilience is definitely incredibly important. You have to be able to um, fail um, and accept failure and not be unintelligent with your resilience either. So you can't really come back and say, um, oh, no, you told me I'm wrong and I'm 100% right. It's like, you told me I'm wrong, but I see war in your disagreement and the way, and, you know, I'm, I'm readjusting, you know, so resilience, humility, um, definitely hard work. You can't really, you just can't do it without hard, hard work is one of those important things because statistically speaking, that increases your chances for success because you take more shots at that. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a multitude of different types of intelligence that people have. So it's, you know, EQ and IQ. And typically uh, entrepreneurs tend to be intelligent and some people are just completely unintelligent when it comes to numbers, but they're very intelligent when it comes to people or high level strategies. Um, they can be greatly successful entrepreneurs. More yeah. than just the founder, there is there is something in cultures of startups that's entirely different. And it's almost like a culture of 
team accountability being number one, right? That's why you have your daily meeting where everybody talks about everything. And it's really, a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people get bored about it, but a lot of people get value out of it just because you have this whole idea of I'm accountable to this person, this person, and this person. There's only four of us here right now. And so if one of us isn't pulling our weight, we're pretty screwed, right? So it's almost- It's almost it's mo- it's a lot of more of a family dynamic than a company dynamic in a lot of ways. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right. Like when we were working together, we would fall out like brothers. Right. Like you and I had a big fallout. You know, I, I'd have to one time I took John to coffee just because I realized he's upset. John would always be like really really nice and be like, you know, I'm okay. It's okay. But you know, you know the the team though they're kind of they kind of think you suck right now. So just like <laughs> like we fall out, but we be, we we had the ability to talk to each other. One last question for me, Brad. Um, if there's one thing you've learned over your entire career that successful companies have and failed companies don't have, one thing, what would it be? I just had to pick one thing. One um, thing. It's just, it's so, it's cliche, but it's true. And it's the best advice I had. It's, it's the right people, right? Because it's, it's what to build it. And this, when I was talking in early stage, one of my, my best friends in high school, uh, in college, she discovered a company, sold it by the time he was 28, could have retired then. He's now like almost going to make a unicorn with his second company. Uh, and he said he was very, very fortunate to find the right people and the right co-founders. Uh, and I think what that means is people who, you know, for myself, what makes me a good, what I believe makes me a good co-founder is the fact that, you know, I've, I know myself, right? I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. Um, I don't have as much of this as I'd like, but I'm getting more as so I get older, more humility. Uh, and then uh, I've always had the resilience, but I think it's just incredibly important that intelligence brings you so far in life. But without that strength, that resilience, that humility, um, you're not going to learn as fast as other people. Uh, and, you know, also just that work ethic that helps you only do your task well, but also planning sometimes feels like an arduous task, right? So um, you always need to plan. You need to change your plans. You have to go back to the drawing board frequently because uh, you're resetting constantly, not really realizing it when you're going through a crazy strategy path that is a startup. So um, people who culturally realize things like that about themselves and, and have those uh, traits are super important. Are you a great engineer? There are fewer of those, right? But then after that, it's like, will you be able to now take that skill set and implement it into this crazy environment? And I think it's just some people are also just good matches for certain people and will do too horrible with other people. So I think that's just incredibly important. Well, Jonathan, you got any more questions? No, not at all. Thanks for joining us, Brad. It was awesome to see you again, even if it's virtually. But it was nice yeah, having you on the show. Yeah, it was a Glad pleasure. Doing well. Yeah, thank you so much, Brad. And that's Brad Pride. He's the co-founder of One Three Biotech, as well as just a handsome guy. Go, go see him on LinkedIn. I'm sure you'll find him as handsome as I do. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna see the spike in people viewing my profile. <laughs> yes, exactly. But thank you so much. And this is uh, another episode of In the Now. We'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah.